0: Patty and Jenny. Wow, amen. Well, as we begin, would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, good morning, everyone. So wonderful to see you here. Thank you so much uh, for your engagement over the last month in our series on spiritual gifts, uh, which ended last week. If you missed a week or maybe you missed uh, a good chunk of the series, we really do invite you to go back uh, on the YouTube stream or um, on our our podcast feed and go and listen to that because it's really a foundational series that's going to guide us and lead us uh, in the year ahead. We're going to continue to come back to this theme of spiritual gifts and how God calls us to use them. Um, Just to let you know, as a follow-up to that series, it's not over. We're going to continue to talk about it, and we do have some ways for you to say yes uh, to how God has gifted you. You can see the QR code here as well as the the URL of HinsdaleCovenant.com gifted. If you've done one of those inventories you kind of know uh, that we've talked about three different categories of giftings word gifts love gifts and power gifts this is an opportunity for you to go hey as i prayed about this as i've gone through the inventory here's what i see and it's going to be an opportunity for us then to contact you and go here's some ways that you could serve in this church certainly we want you to use these gifts in your home in your workplace at school kids uh, students who are here um, in in your neighborhoods, but we also want to see those gifts used here in the church. So this is an opportunity to say yes. We're also going to have opportunities to go through some of those inventories. Pastor Joy will be doing another spiritual gifts clinic a week from Wednesday. It was a snow day last week, so we had to reschedule that one. Um, but we really want to encourage you while that content is fresh with you to visit that link and respond to how God is leading you to use those spiritual gifts so that's sort of where we have been. Now, where are we headed? Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to begin our Lenten journey. It's about as late as it gets for us to begin a Lenten journey. Um, we still have three weeks left. Lent is the season of 40 days before Easter. So it leads us all the way up to Holy Week, to Good Friday, and then obviously to Easter Sunday morning. And as is our practice during Lent, we're going to be focusing on a gospel, one of our four gospels. Uh, we turn our attention to Jesus as that central, most important uh, part of our scripture. So we spent a lot of time in the last nine months in the Old Testament and in the epistles, which has been great. But for me as a preacher, and I think for us as a church, it's always exciting to get back to the Gospels of Jesus, which are really the central documents of our faith. So we're going to be journeying this year through the Gospel of John. Very excited. It's been a while since we've done that. Um, We're going to use the structure in the Gospel of John that John himself puts forward in his gospel, which is the seven signs and wonders of Jesus. We're going to be giving you, as a community, an opportunity to, to read the Gospel of John. If you're a, a, a paper Bible, I like that in my reading spot, and I like to underline it. We're going to give you opportunities to do that. If you're a Bible app person on your phone, we're going to give you an opportunity to, opportunity to do that in, in community. Those opportunities are going to begin at the end of the month. But in the three weeks between now and when we begin our Lenten journey, I'm going to settle in on a chapter of John that we're not going to hit on in this series, and that's John 10. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Gospels, and there are a couple of reasons for us to land in John 10 for the next three weeks. Um, First of all, uh, it's going to give us an awesome on-ramp into our study of the Gospel of John. It's going to get us in in the mode of being in the Gospel of John, which is great. It's also a fascinating text that's going to help us know and understand and love Jesus better, which is always a good thing. But it's also, as I see it, an opportunity for us to dive deeply into our mission statement as a church. I know some of you have been here for a while. You you may understand and know our mission statement. Some of you, it's your first week here, and we're glad that you're here. This is like you picked a great week to come because we're going to talk a little bit about our mission statement, who we are as a church. So just as a refresher, our mission statement as a church is to be a church that's flourishing together in Jesus Christ. So we take that imagery of a flourishing tree. Um, with my confirmation students, sometime in the last two years, I, I said, You know our logo with the leaves? And this one kid was like, Those are leaves? I thought they were like stick figures or like, I don't, I don't know what I thought they were. But yes, uh, that cross shape is leaves. That's the image of flourishing, right? That we're trying to, to portray. We flourish together by a commitment to three things, growing, deepening roots, and bearing fruit in faith. Growing is that act of discipleship, following Jesus so that our lives look more and more like the life of Jesus. And we do this through what we're doing right now primarily, which is communal worship together, community together. Deepening roots is an act of formation. It's not just walking with Jesus, but maturing in our walk with Jesus. And we do this through scripture study and prayer and intentional fellowship with one another. And then the bearing fruit piece of that mission is the evangelism. It's the outreach. It's, it's living out our faith in all aspects of our life. And we do this through the use of, use, use of gifts like we've been talking about. Also reaching out to our community, equipping all of us to live out our lives in, uh, of faith in our homes and in, on our blocks and in our workplaces and at our school students and, and in God's wider work in the world. So we've been living with this mission statement for about six years, and I'm still super challenged by it, which is an indication that it's a good mission statement, right? Uh, we didn't accomplish this yet. We still have a lot of work to do. And I recognize that some of you might be listening to this and going, okay, um, I go to church, check. I'm involved in a Bible study or a root of group, check. I'm living out my faith in, in these ways and in, in reaching out to my community in these ways, Check. So does that mean I'm automatically just flourishing? Did it just happen, right? And if not, why not? And this is where it's good for us to to stop and sort of flesh out this call to be flourishing together. Uh, In John 10.10, we get this incredible singular word. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. That word abundance just like jumps off the page every time I read it. This is the New Testament word for flourishing. Abundance is flourishing. Abundance means much more than can be reasonably expected. Another way to say that, again, flourishing. So a flourishing crop is one that yields way more than the average crop. A flourishing business makes more money than was projected. A student who is flourishing in their studies exceeds their expectations, right? Well, Jesus says that he has come... To earth, so that we might know life abundant, a life that is far more than could be reasonably expected. Does your life feel abundant? Is your spiritual life an example of abundance to other people? If not, or maybe you're not sure, I think that I might know why. And it's this we can know the purpose or the mission statement. We can know what we need to do, but we can become discouraged when we realize that it's harder than we expected or that we're not equipped for that journey. If I can just illustrate a couple years back, um, I got to take my lovely wife Katie to Paris. We had just like a day and a half layover and I was super excited uh, to, to be in Paris, the city that I love as an art lover and a, and a food lover. It's one of my favorite places. Um, Katie had never been there, so I had this burden of expectation, like, she's got to really experience Paris the right way, right? I wanted to give her the fullest experience that I could in the time that we had. Several art museums, the Champs-Élysées, the Arc de Triomphe, the Eiffel Tower, of course. you got to take a picture by the Eiffel Tower. A few cathedrals. We needed to get steak frites and, 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 and a crepe at some point, like all of the stuff. And I packed it in in this day and a half, pretty ambitious itinerary. Um, I had the sites mapped out on the map I I knew how we were going to get to those places when we were going to go to them the quickest routes I walked her through the game plan we were clear on the mission but the one thing that I did not do was was calculate the journey itself I hadn't been to Paris in many years I was much younger when I had been there before and I didn't realize how massive the city of Paris is it's like a huge huge place and um Katie was really excited uh, for this romantic thing that I had planned for her, and so she got dressed up for a romantic stroll together, right? And within a few minutes, I realized that I miscalculated, especially when I looked down at her shoes. Um, Cute, fancy shoes. How many women have been in this situation, right, where you're dressed for something and your husband has another idea, right? Well, it brought up a a source of tension in our marriage over the years, which is uh, Katie in in shoes that, that are romantic, fun shoes for a night out, while I'm going, I think it's just one more block, honey, when I know that it's like eight more blocks. You would think that I would learn from my repeated mistake over the years, but that evening ended up with us on this romantic bridge over the Seine River, all these beautiful Parisians strolling around us with my wife saying, I'm literally not taking one more step. Call a cab now, itinerary done, like feed me, get me out of these shoes. Um, And the dummy that I am, I had only really planned... To go to these locations sort of check off the boxes hey we had done Paris I did not consider the rigors of that journey nor what we would need to make that journey a flourishing journey for our marriage rather than one where my wife has blisters on her feet and she doesn't want to talk to me at the end of the night yes we recovered just so everybody knows we recovered as a couple I apologize profusely the cab driver brought us to the best steak free spot ever that I never would have known about we wore proper shoes the next day We saw all the sites, and hopefully I learned a few new things for the next time we go somewhere else. But but the point is is that we can be clear on the mission but ill-equipped for the journey. And so often our faith lives are like that. We can understand where we need to go, what we need to do to get to the abundant life, but we can become so discouraged because we don't count the cost, and we don't count what it would mean for our lives to actually do it. So we can have the right plan, we can have the right intention, but the wrong shoes to get there and find ourselves discouraged pretty quickly. So it's worth taking time to really hear what Jesus has to say in John chapter 10 about the abundant life. Which is what we're going to do for the next three weeks. This is where we're going to land. So would you please stand for the scripture this morning? This is John 10, verses 1 through 10. Let's begin our journey in this wonderful text. These are the words of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter by the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ be seated Uh, this is a unique passage in the gospel of John um, mostly because it's the closest thing that the gospel of John has to a parable parables are used frequently in the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark Luke Um, but John doesn't add them in his gospel save maybe in John 10 if you count this as a parable like I do this is also a continuation of the narrative in John 9 where Jesus heals a man born blind it's a miracle it's an amazing thing But the Pharisees who are there, the the teachers of the law, they fail to recognize this miracle, and they do not accept the man's testimony of healing. So Jesus, in John 10, explains to these Pharisees and to all his listeners who he is and what he's all about, and how does he choose to do that through the imagery of sheep, parable of sheep. Um, This is a picture here of a Palestinian sheepfold up on the screen. You can find uh, modern sheepfolds that look like this throughout Israel and Palestine, as well as numerous sheepfolds that have been uncovered in excavations from the time of Jesus and way, way, way before the time of Jesus that look exactly like this. Um, It's a circular enclosure with clear boundary walls that are tall enough that the sheep can't climb out of there on their own. And we might expect Jesus in a passage like this with this sort of imagery to take the role of the shepherd, right? But he doesn't do that, at least in the first 10 verses of this text. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. But the first thing he says is, I'm the gate. I'm the gate of the sheepfold. Um, even today, when you see these sheepfolds that are in operation, you will not see them with a, with a wooden door of any kind or a door of any kind because the shepherds themselves were the gate. You see, the shepherd would lead the sheep in, And once they were safely in in the sheepfold, the shepherd would lay down in that enclosure, becoming the gate for the sheep, keeping them safe in the presence of that sheepfold and and keeping them safe from any sort of outside threats, bandits, thieves, robbers, animals. Jesus himself is the gate. And the ultimate function of the gate, as Jesus says in verse 9, is to be the means by which the sheep come in and go out and find pasture. Coming in and going out and finding pasture, that is a flourishing, abundant life for the sheep. That's what they are supposed to do. That is like the good life for sheep, right? To be safe, to be able to come in under the care of a shepherd, and to be able to go out and find pasture. That's what they're created to do. And he is the gate, the means by which the sheep can live a flourishing life, a life of abundance. So here's the first lesson, week one out of three. There's going to be three lessons over the next three weeks, and it's this. A flourishing life is only found in Jesus. Might sound simple, but it's actually incredibly profound. You know, for all the talk these days of of Jesus modeling inclusivity, which he does in a beautiful and, and many varied ways, it should be noted that when Jesus calls himself the gate, he's making a really exclusive claim, isn't he? He's saying that true life, abundant life, comes exclusively through him. And not only that, the other ways in which one can go come in and, and go out and, and live their life and find pasture, those ways of living that we, we might deem as like mostly okay or maybe at least neutral alternatives, Jesus is saying those things actually lead to death. They steal life from you. They don't give you the abundant life. So I'm so sorry if it has been communicated to you that Jesus is just one of many good options to God, to a life of purpose and meaning and abundance, I'm so sorry if it's been communicated to you in the past that Jesus is sort of like a nice additive to just help us through life. Because if we live by that predominant narrative of of pluralism and universality and the idea of this sort of convenient Jesus, we're going to become discouraged in our discipleship because that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate, me, but climbs in by another way, they're a thief, they're a bandit. In other words, there are enemies who would seek to to climb over those walls and rip you away from the presence and care of Jesus. They're thieves and they're bandits, and they're going to lead to death and destruction in our lives. So the walls of that sheepfold are arranged by Jesus. They flow from God's word throughout history of the people of Israel and and 2,000 years of church history to us today in the form of what we call orthodoxy, right belief, right practice. It's been instituted by Jesus. It's been sculpted and shaped by some of the greatest leaders and minds in human history throughout the church. These boundaries are an act of love. They're to be respected. But we have enemies who want to extend those boundaries who want to burrow under them who want to move around some rocks so that we can be led out by another way who are these enemies that Jesus is talking about well please think less of like a person and think more of anyone or anything that would seek to, to lead us out and in in our lives other than Jesus here's a few that I came up with that I see at work in our community in this church community all the time um Radical individualism. The desire to sort of lead ourselves rather than Jesus. To to never let go of autonomy or power or control. The insidious lie that the most important truth in life really resides somewhere deep in us and we just need to find it so that we can exert our own will to live our own life. How about performance culture? That pull that says, if I achieve this grade or this college... Or this job, or this status, or this promotion, or this title, or this lifestyle, or this body, or this portfolio, or this house, or this second house, or this third house, then my achievements will lead me to the abundant life if I can just cross that threshold of achievement. But they won't, because only Jesus can do that. Those achievements are gonna leave you wandering in the pasture wanting more. How about ideologies? Allegiances of all kind, nationalistic zealotry, ultimate hope in social causes, racially superior worldviews, sexual liberation. These violate the boundaries and lead us away from Jesus and the flourishing that he offers us. How about religiosity? Maybe that's a new word for you, but I'm guessing many of us fall into it. That if I do the right things and and I say the right things and I don't mess up too much and I live a basically good moral life and keep on all sorts of rules that Jesus never even talked about, then maybe God will accept me and lead me to the good life. This is the downfall, by the way, of the Pharisees, who is exactly who Jesus is talking to in John chapter 10. How about shame? Man, what a thief shame is. Some of you feel that as if sin and things in your life have permanently stained you to the point where you're ashamed to even be in the presence of Jesus. Sin has so damaged your self-worth that it's easier to just go, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to sin boldly. I'm going to live it up while I can. This is a way to death. What about nominal faith? Sure, I go to church every once in a while. I believe in God, but he feels mostly distant most of the time. I do this for my wife or my husband or my kids or my parents. My heart's not really into it. Jesus seems good enough, but he's not going to be my leader. These are just a few. There are a ton more. I didn't even mention fear or contempt or rebellion or anger or bitterness or duplicitous living. But they're all thieves. They all come ultimately to kill and to destroy. They don't lead to the abundant, flourishing life. That only comes through life in Jesus being in his flock, being led by him, embracing his boundaries, and most importantly in this text, listening for his voice. Did you hear that? Listening for his voice. Jesus said, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep what? Hear his voice. They hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They're not going to follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. You know, sheep get a bad rap. You'll hear a lot of pastors talk about how sheep are dumb. They're not the most intelligent beings, but when it comes to listening, they're way better than we are. This is actually true. There's a story from the intifada in 1991 where the israelis were seeking retribution from a palestinian town outside of bethlehem who refused to pay taxes uh, to their new occupiers and so the israelis as collateral they took dozens of flocks of of sheep and some other livestock and from this village and they put it in this big storehouse and they said we understand that these are yours you can have your sheep back when you start paying taxes you can have your you can have your sheep back and there was an elderly widow who pleaded with these Israelis for her sheep, which were her only form of income, and without them, she would surely die. And they said, well, you can't take your sheep because they're all mixed together. We didn't tag them. There's no, like, markings on them. And how are they gonna? How are we going to know which ones are yours, or if you even have any? How are we going to know that you're not stealing from us? And so she had her grandson, who was a shepherd, come. And he brought a, a, a flute, and he began to play a tune on, that, on that, little, that little flute. And immediately, a bunch of sheep's heads popped up and they started moving towards the door. Twenty-five sheep moved towards the shepherd and followed him and this, this widow out and they took them home because the sheep and the shepherd had spent so much time together that the sheep knew the shepherd's song and there was no questioning. They just followed. Because they listened really well. Friends, in order for us to be flourishing together in Jesus Christ, we have to know and follow his voice over every other competing voice and noise in our lives. How can we know his voice? Certainly from scripture. It's the best place to start. Through prayer. Through spending time with him. You see... When we talk about our mission statement, we come to worship and we come to Bible studies and we come to fellowship groups and we come to service groups. Not because it's like, got to check that off the box so I can get to the abundant life. It's because this is the place where we can learn what the voice of Jesus sounds like. And we can learn what it means to follow it. And when we start to really hear the voice of Jesus and go, oh, yeah, there it is, we can also discern the other voices and the siren songs that have been leading us in and out, and we can resist them, we can block them out, we can banish them in deference to the only voice that leads to a flourishing life. So hear it again, read it again, don't think about, it's not my words telling you this, listen to Jesus, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that my flock might have life and have it in abundance. And what is the life abundant? The flourishing life? It's a life of purpose and freedom and meaning and contentment and vigor and love and hope. Those things are only found in Jesus. So the questions that come out of this today are fairly evident to me. Is Jesus your leader? Is he the gate that marks the coming and going of your life are you listening to his voice do you know how to listen to his voice is it time for you today to renounce the thieves that have come into your life the ones that have promised so much and delivered so very little is it time to give Jesus your listening ear so that his voice can begin to drown out all the other voices that compete for your attention Is it time to confess the discouragement that we face because we've been trying to journey through life ill-equipped by allegiances to leaders other than Jesus himself? Is it time to admit that maybe the ways of living that we've deemed as neutral are actually an enemy that's been reaching over the wall to snatch us and grab us and lead us out by another way that does not lead us to life? Is it time, friends, to surrender ourselves yet again to the gate of the sheep, the good shepherd, and say, Lord, lead me, lead me. It's only through you, Lord, that I can receive the truly abundant life.